Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Salentano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, and relevant M&A transactions. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. Our Q3 issue is available now. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing, I believe we have one coming up soon, and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com intelligence. Well, Sharp, do you want to lead us off? This week, you went to the Colorado Wireless Association show. Yes, I did, Leslie. And uh, they put on a a, a terrific show, and they had a a wide array of uh, of topics that they covered, Uh, everything from rooftop site developments, which don't get a lot of love, but uh, we found out, you know, how uh, a site acquisition person that works with, uh, with rooftop developments also has to be uh, an engineer and a negotiator, and uh, uh, it, it's uh, it's a lot it's a lot uh, more complicated than I than I ever thought it was. Uh, we all also had uh, Jim Landsberg with uh, Qualcomm uh, with uh, talking about wireless uh, and autonomous cars, and uh, that was uh, very in depth and talked about uh, the different really the different wireless uh, uh, routes. That a that a uh, that a car will will have to uh, communicate either from uh, car to uh, to car to car, car to uh, to uh, mobile edge computing center, and then car to the cloud. All the different uh, uh, network connections that uh, that cars will have to make. Not to mention just all the different uh, uh, sensors uh, that. Uh, that they'll use. So, uh, so that was really fascinating. And uh, um, we, um, uh, I, I moderated a panel on workforce innovation that talked, uh, sort of combined uh, uh, an update on uh, a workforce development uh, actions by the government that was given by Leticia Latino with Neptuno USA. And uh, Sam McGuire with 5x5 Five Five talked about how uh, really, uh, drones will be uh, will be able to to sort of take the burden off of uh, companies uh, to a degree uh, by by uh, lessening the the number of, uh, of tower climbs. So uh, so that was uh, uh, really interesting, and uh, I think that uh, the the community as a, a whole, if I if I if that room was any uh, example. There's got to be a lot of uh, a lot of education as to, you know, what what can be accomplished by uh, uh, drone photogrammetry and and uh, that type of thing. But uh, the uh, the session on standardizing small cell deployments, uh, uh, <clears throat> I saw the title and I wasn't wasn't too excited. But uh, 
Um, the, uh, but I really did uh, learn a lot on that. Uh, uh, the, uh, the most interesting thing to me was the fact that uh, Crown Castle is, uh, is averaging 1.8 uh, tenants per small cell. And at one point we, uh, we all, I think uh, the common wisdom said, you know, that, that uh, small cells were gonna be, you know, basically just one tenant that wouldn't be a lot of co-location involved, but it looks like uh, the Crown Castle really is doing a lot of uh, co-location. And uh, the, uh, so the rub there is uh, a lot of the standards being set by the cities uh, require uh, <clears throat> the poles to be pretty small, uh, about 12, 12 inches in diameter. And uh, by doing that, creating that standard, they are making it very difficult for a company like Crown Castle to, uh, to co-locate. And uh, so they're working with the cities trying to explain to them that uh, uh, they need to, uh, to allow their, their um, sites to be a little more future-proof, uh, allow room for co-locations, uh, which in the long run will actually mean that they have fewer small cells uh, in their cities and less disruption. So um, it's, a, it's a negotiating process and an education process. And uh, um, so that was, uh, that was, that was uh, very interesting to see how, how that is playing out. So you need a, a wider than a foot pole to co-locate those antennas, is that the gist? <clears throat> Well, I was uh, I was getting uh, the feeling that that was uh, that's a little too tight uh, for them, and I don't know if there's any real uh, cutoff as far as that's concerned. But whatever whatever standard they had was uh, was making it difficult to uh, to co-locate, and uh, the cities just need to uh, understand that uh, what what looks good on paper as far as uh, uh, setting a standard for a tower for a small cell might actually not be workable in terms of, of getting co-locations in the long run. Yeah, sometimes what works on paper isn't practical in the field. Yes. True that. So um, that's it for the Colorado Wireless Show, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was yeah. Uh, lots, of, lots of uh, socializing, a good crowd. Jonathan Alstein gave a terrific keynote. It was uh, it was over video, but Jonathan is so good. It was it felt like he was right in the room with us, and uh, so um, and uh, so he he gave us an update on on industry activities. Much of it we've we've uh, reported on when, in Inside Towers, but he also talked about some uh, some of the challenges that still lie ahead in terms of uh, um, implementing the. Uh, uh, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. So uh, that will be a uh, that will be an ongoing story, as John likes to say. That story will have legs, and um, and there'll be uh, a lot of work for WIA on the state level uh, to uh, to make sure that those funds are um, uh, you know allocated in a way that wireless uh, providers can use them. Well, thank you for that comprehensive wrap up. John, you also traveled this week. Uh, you went to Metro Connect in Miami. 
I did, Leslie. It's uh, an interesting conference. It's uh, not normally one on our um, list of conferences that we at Inside Towers would normally attend, but <clears throat> I found that uh, at the recommendation of some of our contacts that, that, that suggested it would be uh, are worthwhile to uh, for us to attend, and it turned out that was the case. So Metro Connect is really um, a conference that brings together um, C-suite level executives and uh, investors of private equity and, and various funds that um, are all focused on the telecom infrastructure. And um, it was uh, very well attended. There was about 1,100 people there over a three-day uh, conference. Um, and virtually who's who in the, uh, in the business from carriers to suppliers to infrastructure companies. And we, when we talk infrastructure, we include towers, uh, fiber, uh, data centers, small cells, power, uh, the whole, the whole gamut. And, um, and so we saw presentations from, uh, and panel sessions at, uh, with representatives from uh, all of these groups. And I personally was able to get a number of one-on-one -on -one sessions with, um, with a variety of, of companies at, at the, at the, um, um, participating at the conference. My main takeaway, of course, is that, you know, the infrastructure business is alive and well. There's a tremendous activity going on, as we know, and we've reported on uh, at the carrier level and at the various operating company level. Uh, but the investors are really keen on this segment, and there's a lot of money being made available through um, through private funds and um and, and various investor groups to uh, in, who are interested in in, in um, supporting the uh, the activity that's planned and um, and expect that um, this activity will uh, you know more more than one presenter <clears throat> referred to the, the the next decade so we're looking at a long runway of activity in the infrastructure space and a, uh, a lot of funding to support that so it was it was really good I mean uh, it was it was also my first chance to get away to a conference in about two years so that that <laughs> turned out pretty well yeah uh, it was good, good to meet a lot of uh, friends and associates I haven't seen face to face for a while. So um, that's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Sharp, you had a, a story you wanted to talk about the, uh, the spectrum gains of the carriers in auction 110, I think. Wait. Or no, John, was can that I, your story? No, can I take a pause here? I, I have a, an 11 o'clock call with Nate. Um, so, you know. Mm -hmm. So, John, you had uh, stories involving um, AT&T and T-Mobile this week that you wanted to discuss. Both companies, um, obviously, you know, the push and pull our industry, uh, reported their fourth quarter earnings calls uh, this week. And um, there's some similarities and, and some differences, of course, between the two. But <clears throat> one of the things that uh, we at Inside Towers and I personally pay close attention to is what their what all of these companies say about their capital spending plans. But of course, you know, that influences uh, how much equipment and services they buy. And that goes downstream to all the, all the suppliers and, and the contractors. And, and ultimately it's how we all get paid. Right. So um, uh, AT&T has been, um, uh, first of all, they don't, they don't break out the, the, what they spend on their wireless network. But uh, we've done some interpolation and, and followed 
you know, their 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 uh, investments over time. Their top line uh, uh, capital expenditures have been up and uh, up and down, to say the least, for the past three years. And uh, certainly they, they took a major downturn during the pandemic and they've been trying to revive uh, what, they're, what they're doing with their network plans going forward. Uh, now that we're into 2020, well, now that 2021 is behind us and we're into 2022, uh, their main focus is, from an infra- infrastructure point of view is obviously 5G deployments on their wireless network. And then a lot of fiber to the home deployments in their 21 state operating area where they, they um they have uh, something uh, like 60 million households or so. Uh, in any event, they um, um, they did spend last year about 16.5 billion across their wireline, wireless, and in media operations, uh, and that was up from um, uh, about 15.7 the year before. They rely on vendor financing more than anybody else. So they, they're they guiding this year to uh, about a $24 billion capital spend across the board, 4 billion of which will be from vendors, meaning that the vendors will sell, ship, ship the equipment in and then allow them to pay it off over time versus uh, cash expenditures. Typically they come out of the CapEx budget. Uh, wireless is, um, uh, this year we expect will be in the, um, uh, 11 or 12 billion dollar range out of the total uh, as they they plan to deploy um, uh, uh, 5g in C band and uh, and 3.45 band one of the interesting twists on on their um, uh, deployment is that uh, they plan to do a twofer where they they're getting um, one tower climb installation of both C band radios and antennas and 3.45 gigahertz radios and antennas and and Look, these are going to be multi-band antennas combined into one one profile, and then the separate radio. But the idea is their their um, expectation is they'll save costs in deploying if they do it uh, both at the same time. And that activity is supposed to get underway mid-year when the radios are available, and then ramp up through the end of the year and into into 2023 when they have to meet deadlines for um, C-band deployments by the end of the year. Uh, T-Mobile, on the other hand, is going great guns. They um, uh, they uh, claim they've hit uh, record um, uh, revenues and uh, record new ads on their on their network. They've amped up their um, uh, capital expenditures this year to thirteen to between thirteen billion and thirteen point five billion. Uh, that's up from the um, the twelve billion or so they spent last year. They um, they're extending their their five G nationwide to make sure they cover up to 300 million pops with their um, uh, ultra capacity that's a 2.5 gigahertz service and and a lot of uh, then at local levels they, they're deploying what they call 5g home internet which is a fixed wireless access application they expect to add they did add in in 2021 uh, over five and a half, about five and a half million um, subscribers to bring their total to 109 million. That's second only to Verizon. And they expect to add another five to five and a half million in 2022. Um, the interesting twist with their guidance for uh, capital expenditures is that they expect it to drop off substantially, I think was the word they used in 2023, because one, they would have completed a lot of their nationwide 5G build out. And they, they're uh, decommissioning their 3G network. 
and um, their, their, their focus will be at much more of a local level. So, um, and we found that with Verizon too, that by, by the time they get through the, uh, the major um, uh, C-band deployments uh, and, their, and their footprint is extended, that uh, they'll start, we'll start to see some economies of scale and, uh, and reductions in, in capital expenditures, even as their expectation is that revenues will continue to grow. So. We're going to continue to follow that, but you know it's interesting that uh, we're seeing um, you know similarities in terms of the spending patterns, but uh, uh, for all for different reasons. <laughs> so we'll keep an eye on that. All right. Well, thank you, John. And Sharp, uh, you had a story: Spectrum Games the carriers got from Option One Ten. Yes, this week, uh, uh, T-Mobile and uh, U.S. Cellular uh, send out press releases uh, talking about uh, their successes at the in Auction One Ten, and uh, as as you might imagine, uh, uh, T-Mobile already had a a wealth of spectrum at uh, two point five uh, gigahertz, and uh, so no one had really expected them to be too aggressive in the in the mid band auctions, but they did add. Uh, uh, spectrum uh, in uh, at uh, 3.45 gigahertz, and uh, uh, basically it's going to be for them more of the same. They're going to be uh, uh, increasing their capacity and uh, compre- increasing their coverage area. So it's uh, it's basically uh, just more good news for them. Nothing uh, nothing too surprising. But uh, the uh, the U.S. cellular uh, um, press release. Um, I think was was a, a nice reminder that uh, the the 5G play is not just a nationwide play, that a regional player like U.S. Cellular um, also has uh, invested in the uh, proverbial 5G layer cake of, of spectrum, and uh, they added spectrum in uh, in all three auctions in the mid band, and uh, now have spectrum in high band, mid band, and low band. And I think that's good news for not only for cellular, uh, for what, for for U.S. cellular, but I think it's also uh, uh, really good news for uh, uh, you know the the push to uh, to get uh, fixed wireless access out to uh, to rural areas and close the digital divide because. Um, U.S. Cellular is in those areas. They have the towers built, and uh, so they can uh, they can provide that service to uh, uh, to many people in the rural areas. So I think that it's good news considering the the push that we all have heard about uh, to get uh, to get more people in the rural areas to uh, to have high speed internet access. I like your layer cake. Uh analogy. I think that's great. Jim, you're taking us to Virginia. Yes. Latin Virginia, there's kind of an interesting little story about some legislation that was done on a state level by State Senator John D. Bell. Uh, and it was legislation that basically helped AT&T. Hmm. Last name's Bell, helps AT&T. I don't think there's a uh, connection there, but uh, it's, it's, it was kind of interesting that uh, he's, uh, Senator Bell is, is uh, on top of this. Um, anyway, he, he put together some legislation, Bill 255, uh, that would help uh, smooth the development and, and proliferation of, of building out cell tower construction in, in Loudoun County, Virginia, particularly. 
And um, it was uh, met with a little bit of a pushback through that time. Um, but his proposal centered around towers 200 feet, but he had to pull that back and reissue it as, as towers 150 feet that would allow for automatic approval of towers under that height of 150 feet, under that height of 150 feet to be built without local oversight. And um, Bell was hoping that this would streamline construction. But it, one of the stipulations was also that the towers had to be at least four miles apart, but, but also saying that they would have to benefit emergency personnel as well. So sort of eight, and this involved AT&T and obviously FirstNet was involved in that as well. So that was the, the basic bill. Uh, the pushback came from uh, local residents, but also came from a coalition of Loudoun towns, acronym is COLT. Um, and the coalition of these seven mayors and towns in Loudoun County, Virginia, uh, spoke out against that. Um, they did not like the, the fact that uh, uh, they were allowing sort of carte blanche for any towers under 150 feet without further review. And they also had a, a problem with the uh, stipulation that any first responders in their areas would not be essentially covered under this. They were concerned that um, the bill would be overly favorable to AT&T. So it has been sent back to the committee for further review. It got a 96 vote uh, saying, let's take a look at this again in the Virginia legislature. So that's, that's where that is. And we'll, we'll stay on top of that. Okay, well, thank you, Jim. Um, so I had two stories I wanted to talk about this week. One was the FAA 5G uh, aviation FCC debacle and how that rolled out. Um, there was a House subcommittee that had a hearing on this. FAA Administrator Steve Dixon testified, and a lot of the hearing focused on what what was the problem between the FAA and the FCC and all the related industries? Why was the rollout so bumpy? And why was 5G safety as far as radio altimeters not um, discussed earlier? Um, and Garrett Graves, the subcommittee's top Republican, said the FCC and the FAA basically played chicken with one another and the whole uh, it, or, or whatever ridiculousness happened. And now we ended up threatening aviation safety. We had flights canceled. He called that embarrassing. Dixon testified that federal agencies need to improve their spectrum coordination in the future. Um, FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel, who she wasn't at the hearing. She was invited, but she couldn't make it. She had told reporters a month earlier that, yes, that needs to be the case. Um, agencies need to more fully cooperate in the future before there's a spectrum auction. CTIA uh, President and CEO Meredith Atwell Baker reminded everybody that AT&T and Verizon had offered three times three different sets of um, ways to ameliorate the situation, and they twice delayed their rollout. So um, 
And she said the rules that the FCC came up with for C-band are very stringent. So it, it's not like they didn't pay attention to the aviation safety issue. The other um, story of note this week was uh, Gigi Sohn. She's the, uh, the Demo Democratic nominee for the FCC. A vote on her in the Senate Commerce Committee was postponed again. Senator Ray, Ben Ray Lujan, a Democrat of New Mexico, suffered a stroke and he's recovering. But they need his vote to get Sohn's uh, nomination passed. So they had to postpone it. That has led to another hearing. That's going to happen this week. And that's controversial, too, because supporters are upset that um, Republicans are going to have another chance to uh, question her. She went through a lot of vigorous questioning during the first hearing, December 1st. Um, and they're saying, well, this, you know, this is piling on top. Other, uh, there's some uh, nonprofits that are upset because uh, they say that her recusal from certain broadcast issues, she's offered to do that um, if she's confirmed to the FCC. The cable industry is saying, well, why do broadcasters get special treatment? Why not cable? You know, and U.S. Telecom just said it doesn't matter what industry. Um, this kind of an agreement sets a bad future precedent for her and for any future uh, FCC nominees. So that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to our Inside Towers Week in Review, and we'll see you in another week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.